0: The Dr. Taz Show, the podcast. Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where on every episode of the show, I'm determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Joining me from London, from the UK, is Samuel Pollan. He is an author of the book, The Year I Didn't Eat a book all about eating disorders, but this time eating disorders in our teens, specifically boys. Samuel, welcome to the show. This is a really important topic and I can't wait to dive into it because I think that for all of us, I'll have to admit, even for myself, when we think eating disorders, we are typically thinking about girls, right? And girls at risk. you have a very different experience. I'm sure everyone wants to hear your story, and then we'll talk a little bit more about uh, this really troubling epidemic of eating disorders.
1: Great, yeah. Um, firstly, thanks very much for having me. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: What you said in the in the run-up is kind of exactly true. Um, you know, most of us um, think of eating disorders as primarily uh, something that happened particularly classically to teenage girls or young women. Um, but actually they affect, uh, a lot, a lot of different people, about a quarter of eating disorders sufferers are men, depending on which estimates you look at, there's lots of figures around, but, um, and, and also beyond that, there's also, you know, people of all ages, people of all ethnicities, people of all so- socioeconomic backgrounds. So yeah, it's quite, quite a mixed picture, which is part of why I wanted to tell this story.
0: Do you see the rates of eating disorders on the rise? What do you think is driving it? Give us a little bit of background with this particular condition and what you're seeing.
1: Yeah, so certainly um, my understanding is that the broad picture is that eating disorder rates are on the rise. I think that's partly, um, it sounds um, confusing, but partly a good story because I think it's partly because we're we're recognizing them more and we're dealing with them more and people, people are getting help that they didn't get help with in the past. But also, I think it probably probably reflects a genuine rise in rates, um, and that has a complex um, set of um, causes that's probably partly to do with the healthcare system. I think it's probably partly to do with the internet age and the kind of different way we think about ourselves and our our, uh, personal image and the way people see us now.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, that's a lot to uh, to unpack in our, in our little time together here. But talk to us about your experience. What happened? What was the motivation for writing this book? Why this particular issue for you? Give me a sense of that.
1: I was about 12 when I first developed um, an eating disorder. I'm 31 now, by the way. So, and it's, I've been, uh, I've not had an eating disorder for a long time. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, I was about 12. And i um, when young men get eating disorders, it tends to be a little bit earlier in their lives. That often happens kind of just that sort of around the puberty kind of age. Um, and, and that was the case for me. And um, that's obviously, um, I mean, there's no good age to deal with an eating disorder, but that's a particularly tricky age because you're also learning out learning how to be a teenager and how to be an adult and kind of, you know, your whole life is changing around you. You're in the UK, you're going to a different school at that age, um, so there's a lot going on, um, and so that was a really hard thing I had to deal with. I was I was lucky enough to have um, relatively supportive people around me, but a lot of the people around me just because they weren't looking out for this thing in a in a, in a young man, they didn't didn't really recognise it. So I didn't really necessarily have people to talk to about that. There wasn't really support networks that existed. Uh, certainly, for young men um going through something like that at the time, I think that's got a bit better in in the sort of I guess it's nearly twenty years since since that was the case. But um yeah, there's a lot to deal with.
0: Oh my goodness. so how did um how did it look? What was an eating disorder like for you? Did you simply not eat more like the anorexia type scenario, or were you eating and purging? What, what were you doing? How did you exhibit some of these behaviors? And what do you think triggered it? Was it purely stress or hormones or what do you think the trigger was behind it?
1: Well, I think triggered it is a really hard question to answer because I think that's the part of the big problem with eating disorders is, is we don't, we don't fully understand how they go. And know you know, what happens. Um, I, I was anorexic. I was. I was diagnosed with anorexia, and it was. I mean, I think even with anorexia, that varies a lot. But for me, it was. It was um, uh, m- more and more regular exercise. I used to run. I still run, actually. I run perfectly health- healthily now. But there was a long period where I couldn't run uh, healthily. I was exercising more and more and eating less and less. It was a very kind of restrictive, kind of slow. And I think. I think um, that can be. A particularly tricky kind of eating, sort of, to deal with because it's it's more invisible, maybe than than if you are, you know, purging and 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 kind of feels you can you can convince yourself you're just doing the same as what you were doing yesterday, but you're doing slightly less of it or slightly more of it, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense, and I think um, in my med school, somewhere in the second or third year, you know, that started to happen to some of us, quite honestly, and it became sort of like a. I don't know what the word is for it, like a cluster where one or two of the girls were over-exercising and eating less and less and eating less and less and over-exercising more and eating less and less. And it kind of started spreading to the rest of us where everybody started to do that And it was completely a reaction to stress and not being able to control, you know, what was going on in our environment. You know, did your family notice? Did anyone pick up on the fact that that was happening with you? Was there a change in weight or a change in behavior or anything else that would have maybe clued somebody in?
1: So people noticed it took a little while for them to notice, to be frank. And I think the main um, kind of trigger point for that was me getting ill. I got the flu. (laughs) Um, And and I saw a doctor through the course of that. And he kind of told me and told my uh, my family how, how underweight I was. I'd lost a lot of weight. I was there was a big behavioral shift in that I was I didn't really want to spend time with people. I was you know, I went straight home after school and I was kind of trying to avoid social contact mm. um but I think that that partly ties into what I was saying about I was also becoming a teenager and a lot of those changes happen when you become a teenager anyway right you are suddenly very shy you suddenly don't want to spend time with people you right. you're, you're going through a lot of confusing changes so I do think it's hard for any family to kind of read that situation and go that's an eating disorder because I think it also, look like a lot, a lot of other things that happening then.
0: So, how long did your eating disorder in particular last? Did it last for a few years, or did it go away quickly, or what happened?
1: It's kind of really hard to put a sort of start date and end date. I think it was roughly two years, something like that in total, in terms of kind of from when I from when I started sort of obviously having an eating disorder, I guess, to the point where I was discharged from regular treatment. Yeah. I there's probably then a longer period where I was very careful about the, the my relationship with food and kind of watched myself very closely. Um but yeah, I was I had in, in many ways I was very lucky. A lot of people um have eating disorders of- for a lot longer and kind of relapse and, 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 and uh, have a really tricky time kind of going forward. And that's just, there's, there's, that's partly your circumstances and, and the support you have, but also partly just good or bad luck. Um, so kind of once I had treatment, I did have a re- relatively smooth recovery.
0: Wonderful. And what did treatment look like out of curiosity?
1: I was seeing a clinical psychologist. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure, sure exactly what the role would be in the US, but
0: similar, probably very similar, psychologist, psychiatrist,
1: on a on I think a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, I had a dietitian who kind of designed a, um, you know meal plans for me and was kind of working with me to put on weight. Get that kind of combination of practical things that are solving because obviously a, a weird thing with eating disorders um, is that they have this immediate threat to your health, right? Is that if you lose too much weight and if you are too underweight it can cause other kinds of damage that is you know over and above the psychological issue you have a physical issue that you need to deal with so there's that kind of practical level and then the changing the changing your thought patterns um kind of changing your relationship with food which which takes longer but which is vital for you to you know carry on right having a healthy life afterwards
0: did it require any medication or was it mainly just uh you know sort of like more cognitive behavioral type stuff and yeah
1: exactly it was con- yeah. uh, cognitive
0: behavioral therapy yeah but
1: yeah i mean i was i'm i'm recalling when i was 12 13 right so i didn't yeah. fully understand what was going on but i wasn't right i didn't have medicine as part of my treatment
0: Medicines, okay, perfect. And then you know, I'm sitting here listening to you, and I have a son, and I'm sure a lot of the audience, you know, some of them are moms or they have a brother or somebody that that's in their life uh, that they are concerned about. How how do we pick up? Like, how are men's experiences of an eating disorder maybe different from that of a of a female or a woman? I feel like I guess where I'm going with this. I feel like as a as a woman, I can pick up very quickly if my daughter is starting to develop signs of an eating disorder because. It's, I don't know, there's just something that's very easy to see and intuitive about that. How do we pick it up in our sons and our husbands and, you know, our brothers? You know, what is the difference there that we really should be looking for?
1: I think it's really hard is <laughs> the, the short thing. Um, I think partly because the... yeah. A lot of what eating, a lot of what eating disorders are about, at least partially, is kind of um, is chasing this ideal of what you of the person you want to be, the person you want to look like, the person you you have in your head that you can't reach. Um, and for men, I think that's a much more complicated. You know, I think for mm-hmm. for for women, the the pressure on on women's bodies is often relentlessly downwards. You know, you have to be thinner, and that's the kind of. That's the the message that I think a lot of a lot of the media would would give about women's bodies. Right. Whereas I think for men, it's a much more complicated picture because because you also have things like what you know you have various kinds of body dysmorphia and, and different problems in men, and that's partly because men's ideals of of what they should look like are really complex and varied. Mm-hmm. In terms of things to spot, I think you know obviously excessive exercise is a is a very common thing. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to kind of give up, um right full advice just from from your perspective perspective. Um, and things that were were definitely triggers for me was that kind of social withdrawal for one thing um a kind of big big change in the way I related to other people and my kind of comfort level and with being in social situations I mean I think we we don't really think about it when when we're eating healthily but almost everything we do socially involves food we meet people for meals and we meet people for drinks and we go to the cinema and have snacks and you know that, that's just like a normal part of almost everything socially um and so for me withdrawing from those situations was a kind of big obvious change I just didn't I, I avoided any situation that was kind of social um and and that the exercise was the other thing for me you know doing more and more exercise um and and I think you know lots of Lots of boys, lots of young boys, exercise perfectly healthily. Um, and uh, again, it's that challenge of kind of determining what is what is a comfortable, healthy level of doing something, and what when is it tipping over into something that is that is not not being done happily and not being done sustainably and healthily.
0: Gotcha. So overexercise may be more common in boys than girls, who might try to control they're eating more. And that's something I think I've seen in, in practice too. So that might be a helpful tip for anybody out there who's trying to sort through that um, and try to understand if, if their son or their brother or husband might be suffering from something like that. How has, we talked about when we started like the perceived growing rate of eating disorders, whether it's just from better identification or it's an actual growing rate, um, how much of that has been you know, affected by social media, by Instagram and, you know, all this other, everyone's taking pictures constantly. They say that rhinoplasty has gone up significantly because of Instagram. What about eating disorders? Tell us there's a correlation there.
1: Firstly, I should say when I had an eating disorder, I had dial-up internet at home just. Obviously I've thought about this a lot because I wrote a book about my experiences and I was, I was writing a character who who was dealing with an eating disorder now in, in, in our contemporary world, which is, which with a smartphone and all of those things, but yeah. So, so my own experience was kind of before that. Before that was really, uh, really happening. But definitely, I think we we are asked to think about how we look and present to other people more and more. Um, and I think social media is a really good example of that. I don't think it's the only example of that. I think, um, but I think it's it's made that much more common. And you know, everyone kind of to some extent now lives through other people's image of them um and i think that's something that can can cause a lot of problems you know people's people's happy if when your happiness comes from this kind of image that you're projecting of yourself rather than kind of how you feel internally that's that mismatch can cause real issues for people so i think that definitely has contributed i can't i think it's hard to say how much that's contributed versus other other things going on in society but i definitely think it's a factor
0: i think it's a huge factor and i think You know, one of the things I'm a huge advocate for is keeping some of this out of the hands of our younger children, you know, like our middle school children, because I don't think they have the emotional maturity to manage the images coming at you constantly and then being able to filter. I have trouble as an adult. I don't know how they're doing it. I'm like, why don't I look like that? Come on, guys. So, I mean, I have trouble as an adult. So I can't imagine being like a middle schooler or, you know, even a high schooler and trying to navigate this. I don't really know what the answer is. But, But I do think that a part of it is that we've become very image focused. And, you know, if we don't have a particular image, it can lead to anxiety, depression, and then trigger into an eating disorder. So I do think that that's one factor. The other things I've seen clinically just in practice, I think extreme stress, like I talked about my med school example, I've seen that trigger into an eating disorder. I've seen trauma or any abuse, you know, be a trigger for an eating disorder as well. And then where the science Bringing my doctor hat in, where the science is sort of leading us is that, you know, all those things may not even be in the picture, but it could be a microbiome issue. It could be a gut hormone issue that, as the hormones change and the gut bacteria change, is triggering this change in behavior. So, these are all things for anybody out there listening who's, you know, who's trying to sift through, like, why did this happen or what's going on or, or do these pieces add up for a particular child or person? Those are things to maybe think about. And this next question, you know, is one that I'm so curious what you have to, what what your answer will be. Do you think people recover from eating disorders long-term or do you think it's one of those things that can flare if the right set of circumstances exist or it's almost like it's not really a psychological disease, it's more of an autoimmune type disease and it can flare if you have hit one, hit two, hit three, you know, what do you think?
1: Uh, well so my one word answer is yes I think people do recover from eating disorders I definitely don't wonderful (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's that's good news you you know I partly talk from my own experience there I haven't struggled with my eating since I recovered from eating disorder and that's now 15 years ago or something like that um i I think that that very much depends on what was causing it, as you pointed to several different causes and several different factors. And obviously those pressures sometimes go away and then come back and, and things in people's lives change that cause them to go back. And I don't know that I would never, nothing could ever cause me to relapse. There might well be things that could cause me to relapse, but they haven't happened in my life yet. So I guess it, it it partly becomes a semantic thing about how you define recovery. Um, cause you know, we all, I think there's always potential for things to go wrong in our lives in the future.
0: Absolutely. It's it's realistic. So I think it's important. What I found, I think it's incredibly important if you suffer personally from an eating disorder or you know someone is that you're aware just like any other disease. I think that's the important thing to remember that this is a disease just like lupus might be, just like, you know, rheumatoid arthritis might be, just like we think about ADHD. This is actually a condition and it's not just something somebody's reacting to. So I think for any condition, we have to know, you know, what your triggers are, what works for you, what your tipping point is, what throws you over the edge, you know, and I think it's important for everyone to just have that list and the minute they feel life spinning and getting out of control and maybe some of those forces coming back, they know, you know, They know to go back to how to live to make them feel better and how to live to make them feel in balance so they can get out of sort of spiraling downhill like that. So I think that that is not being negative at all. I think it's just being very pragmatic and very realistic that this has happened. What do we do in the future to make sure it doesn't happen again? What are the things that you need to look out for? And I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of that approach. I know this book, and again, the book, everyone is The Year I Didn't Eat, is really targeted at a younger audience. What were you hoping for the younger folks? What were you hoping they would walk away and take away from this book when they when they read it?
1: Firstly, I wanted to tell a story that I thought was um, authentic for me to tell uh, which was about a kind of younger person going through this, right? Um and I also kind of looked at the market and looked at what was out there and felt there weren't that many books. So there are lots of books about, as you might expect, there are lots of books about eating disorder that are aimed at um later teenage um, or or kind of young adult, which is great. And, and there's lots of great books out there that do that. Um, there wasn't so much for that kind of, so my, so my book is kind of 11 to 15, that sort of age, there isn't too much out there for that audience. Um, but eating disorder rates are going up in, uh, kids that age. And that, that felt like something that, you know, it was important to have a book that was out there that was dealing with, um, with a protagonist, with a uh, character, Max, the central character in my book at that age both for people going through it and also people around people going through it so so a lot of people have spoken to me which is uh really lovely things here that you know they have a they have a friend who's going to something like that they have a son or a daughter who's going through something like that eating disorders are general a lot of the a lot of the uh experiences happen regardless of how old you are and regardless of your circumstances but they're also quite specific when you're going through them they feel unique and they feel like nothing no one can relate to the experience that you're having and it's Um, I think having something that feels um, as like you as possible and as like your own experience as possible can be hugely valuable for, for people to kind of, when they're working out how to deal with that.
0: Wonderful. And if you had to give maybe three pieces of advice to somebody out there who's suffering from an eating disorder or to a parent um, or a spouse or someone who's worried that somebody they love is suffering from an eating disorder, what, what would the three things be? You know, I always like to leave everybody with the, with a checklist. My daughter makes fun of me with my list, but you know, what would the three things be that you, you would really want them to be like, Hey, just remember this. If you don't remember anything
1: else. Yeah. So, so I think the first thing I would say was as something that I might not have believed at the time, um, I was going through an eating disorder, but I think it's a really important message anyway. And the more we say it, the more I think people might be able to. To, um, relate to it is that you're not alone other people have been through things that are similar and it might not feel like their experience is quite the same but they were having the same feelings. they were dealing with the same things and it felt impossible to them too and they got through it um, I guess the second thing would be um, the importance of kind of connections, of talking to people. Specifically, I think connections that aren't just about dealing with that problem. So as I was recovering and as I was working through kind of of a recovery process, um, it was really valuable to me to have social time, spend time with people that wasn't where they weren't asking me about how, about my eating disorder and about what was going on. They were just talking to me about soccer or the weather or whatever, like it doesn't matter what it was, but you know, other, other things that were just normal. Cause I think that social withdrawal is such a big part of eating disorders that those, those, you feel like you can never, you're never going to know how to be a normal person again, if that makes sense. You can't recover from an eating disorder without medical support, or at least it is very, it's an incredibly hard thing to do and you shouldn't try it. Um, you need professional support and, that's, that's vital. And that was, you know, that's the reason I'm here to tell you about that.
0: I think you said it best. I think if anybody out there who's listening to this, or, you know, somebody who's suffering from an eating disorder, maybe let them listen to this particular episode, because I think when you're in the middle of it, you feel really alone and you don't know where to turn to. And you think that you're the only one who's gone through something like this, but to Samuel's point, creating community, creating connection and really reaching out and seeking help and being honest with your doctor, you know, I've got to tell the story before we go because it just struck me. I, you know, in my practice, I have an integrative practice and we do a lot of work with food and nutrition and stuff like that. And I had this one particular patient who literally had been coming to me for 18 months and had been talking about the different foods she should and should not eat, had done food intolerance testing. So was avoiding some of those foods on that test and was having all these symptoms like bloating and trouble sleeping and like all this other stuff. And finally by the eighth visit, is when she told me, she's like, I'm suffering from an eating disorder and I'm purging at night and I'm throwing up in the day and then I'm trying to follow your plan. But it took her like, literally the eighth visit. And I, I, you know, I had no idea. So I think being, um, you know, being really honest with your medical provider, because unless it's really obvious, we'll pick it up. But if we don't know the full extent of what you're going through, sometimes we just don't, you know, and I'll never forget her case or her Um, And I know you can definitely relate and resonate to that too. So just really important to remember some of these pieces of advice. In the book, everyone, is the year I didn't eat. It is aimed at our tweens and teens, the 10 to 15 year olds. I've got two of those in my home right now. And really hoping to educate them in the age of social media, how to really navigate this particular issue when image seems like it's everything. Samuel, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Where can the audience connect with you?
1: You can find me uh, at my website, um, and on various other social medias as well. But if you just, if you search Samuel Pollen, you will find me in all of the places.
0: <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking time uh, over all the way over in London to join me. Are you in London or uh, where are you exactly? I don't even know. I am in London. Yeah, I, yes. I, I saw UK and I was like <laughs> London, you know, <laughs> typical American. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you for taking time for joining me today. For everybody else, thank you for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where we hope that you are finding your superpowers. If you enjoyed this episode, remember we're on Spotify as well, so remember to rate and review it and share it with your friends. I will see you guys next time.